This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the prophet Jeremiah, found on uh, page 627 in the Pew Bibles, Jeremiah chapter 1. Quite possible that you may find it just by opening your Bible somewhere just to the right of middle, uh, though it has fewer chapters than Isaiah. Jeremiah, in fact, by word, is the longest book in the Bible. But don't let that scare you away. Jeremiah uh, chapter 1, we get our reading at verse 1, 1 through 10. Hear the word of God. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the, day, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms. Pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this portion of your word, and we pray that as we uh, take up the study of it this evening, and indeed this book, that you would uh, give us a greater understanding of your word, that you would give us hearts that are receptive to your truth. Father, we pray that uh, in this late hour of the day, you would give us uh, alert minds and give us hearts, Father, that are hungry for your word because we are hungry for you, for I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Charles Dickens' book, A Tale of Two Cities, begins with the well-known words, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. For Jeremiah, that would be about half right, the uh, latter half, in fact. Judah was in trouble. Politically, Judah is between a rock and a hard place. Judah, of course, is the southern kingdom. You'll recall after 
uh, Solomon, how the kingdom divided into Israel or Ephraim in the north and uh, Judah in the south. Uh, by this time, Israel as such is no more, uh, having been uh, taken into captivity by Assyria. And Judah is now in trouble between a rock and a hard place. Assyria to the north, Babylon to the east, Egypt to the south. In terms of religion, the worship of the Lord in Judah and Jerusalem had uh, largely been replaced by the worship of Canaanite and Assyrian deities. Uh, Even the priests of Jerusalem are so apostate that the word of God is not heard in the land and uh, generations have grown up ignorant of the word of God and the law of God. Well, it's into this mess that God calls Jeremiah to serve as a prophet. And not only has he called him to serve in this mess, but he ultimately gives Jeremiah a message that is uh, extremely unpopular. Surrender to Babylon. Jeremiah witnessed the decline and the eventual fall of Judah and her capital, Jerusalem. Years later, rabbis would refer to Jeremiah as the weeping prophet. Michelangelo painted Jeremiah into the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, and he painted him in a posture of weariness and despair. Jeremiah, as you look at him, as depicted by Michelangelo, looks like uh, someone who has wept himself dry. His face is turned aside like a man deep in thought or a man who has been battered by blows and is expecting more. His head rests on his right hand and his fingers cover his mouth as though he has nothing more to say. His left hand seems to fidget with his clothing, perhaps in nervousness, maybe even fear. Verses 1 through 3 introduce us to Jeremiah, the words of Jeremiah. Uh, It's worth noting that this is an eminently human book. Uh, Jeremiah was a man, a mere man. And these are his words, but at the same time it's worth noting that it is, as verse 2 says, the word of the Lord. And so Jeremiah fits in with the rest of Scripture, being both a human book and a divine book. The words of Jeremiah, he is introduced as the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth. So we learn that Jeremiah was a son of the Mance, his father serving as a priest in the village of Anathoth, probably about three miles northeast of Jerusalem, far enough to be away from the hubbub of the city, yet close enough he could probably still see the city and see the city walls. It's interesting that in 2 Kings 22, when, during Josiah's reign, when the book of the law is rediscovered, when it's found and brought to the king, there was a priest named Hilkiah who discovered that book. Whether that's Jeremiah's father or not, we don't know. Hilkiah was a fairly common name uh, in Israel and Judah in that day. Uh, we don't know, but we also don't know that it wasn't. His father was Hilkiah in the village of Anathoth. Jeremiah served as a prophet for over 40 years. 
the dates, the beginning, as he says there, uh, in the 13th year of the reign of King Josiah, that would be 627 B.C. And Jeremiah continued his work as a prophet until Jerusalem fell in 586 B.C. You'll recall when it's B.C., you have to count down, count backwards. So 586 is after 627 uh, so Jeremiah was a prophet for at least that long and uh, certainly continued around after that. He witnessed it. He wrote, later wrote the book of Lamentations to uh, lament the fall of Judah and Jerusalem. As Jeremiah says here, uh, his ministry ran under three kings of Judah. Uh, under Josiah, who was the great reformer king after wicked Manasseh, you may recall, uh, in Second Kings, how uh, vile Manasseh had been in leading the people astray and leading them in all kinds of wicked pagan practices, so that the Lord decided under Manasseh's reign, he pretty much had it with Judah, and uh, their, their days were numbered, although Manasseh repented afterward, toward the end of his days. He actually repented of some of the wickedness, but it was Josiah who came in after him, uh, and when the book of the law was found, it began to uh, institute the Passover and uh, bring about reforms in the land. He also mentions Jehoiakim, uh, the uh, wicked ruler who uh, followed Josiah and undid many of his reforms. And then he was also under King Zedekiah, who was the uh, puppet king put in place by Nebuchadnezzar over Jerusalem, over what was left of Judah. Well, Jeremiah lived at the end of his country's life. He saw Judah deported to Babylon. He himself uh, went into exile in Egypt, where he died. Now, Jeremiah's ministry, of course, begins with his call. Uh, As we'll see, uh, the other prophets record their call as God calls them to the ministry. After all, that is their authority. That is why they are doing what they are doing. And as we look at Jeremiah's call, and we'll spend the bulk of our time looking at that tonight, uh, we see that it falls really into, into three parts. The call itself, Jeremiah's objection to the call, uh, and then Jeremiah's ordination to his ministry. First of all, God's call on Jeremiah. We see this in verses 4 and 5. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, now that's a, you, you'll see that phrase in Jeremiah. In fact, it occurs again at verse 11. And again in verse 13, the word of the Lord came to me, uh, which is the mark of any true prophet. Uh, Jeremiah has to address false prophets, and Jeremiah paraphrase, or, or prefaces rather what he says uh, with these words, the word of the Lord came to me. This is not Jeremiah's message. He is but a steward. He is but an emissary representing the Lord. The word of the Lord came to me, he says, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now notice, before I formed you, before you were born. God knew Jeremiah even before Jeremiah existed. God says to Jeremiah as he comes to him, as he calls him to this work, I loved you. I cared for you in eternity past. I made a personal commitment to you before you were even born. And what a great thought uh, for us, because while that's true of Jeremiah, as the Lord calls him to this work that he had for him, that's true of every one of us. The Lord knows us. He knows our children. 
He, he knows those children that never lived past infancy. He knows those children that never lived to see the outside of the womb. God knows us. He knows even those yet to be. But what this means, of course, as we think about this, is the Lord comes to Jeremiah and says, before you were even born, I knew you, is that our life really doesn't start with us. Eugene Peterson puts it this way in his book on Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah's life didn't start with Jeremiah. Jeremiah's salvation didn't start with Jeremiah. Jeremiah's truth didn't start with Jeremiah. He entered the world in which the essential parts of his existence were already ancient history. So do we. Your history did not begin when you were conceived. It didn't begin when you were born. It began when God set his knowledge upon you in eternity past. And he says to Isaiah, before I formed you, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Well, let's look at those words. He says, I knew you. Uh, It's a powerful term in Scripture that goes beyond merely God saying, yes, Jeremiah, I was aware of you. I, I knew you would one day come on the scene. No, the meaning here is much deeper, much richer. Uh, the Lord is saying here, I, before you were even born, had a personal commitment to you. I set my affections upon you. This is the same word that's used in Genesis 4.1, where it says, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived, often used in the Bible as as Yes, a euphemism for sexual intimacy, but really the essence of sexual intimacy, a deep knowledge of someone. And the Lord is saying that here of Isaiah. I knew you, not just I was aware you were there, but I set my affection, my love upon you. And that implies personhood. What a, what a great apologetic here against abortion. That when Jeremiah was in the womb, he was a person. The Lord knew him. It wasn't an it. It was Jeremiah. I knew you. He says, before you were born, I consecrated you. And the Lord was forming him in the womb. He says, I consecrated you. The word means to set apart. Typically in the Bible, to set apart something from an ordinary use to a sacred use, from a common use to an uncommon use. I set you apart, Jeremiah, even before you were born. For this purpose I had for you. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Literally, I gave you to be a prophet. Not just to Judah, but a prophet to the nations. Because God's word goes beyond just Judah. God's word speaks to the nations. And in fact, not just Jeremiah, but other prophets often address the oracles of God as he gives them to the nations around Because while God is certainly concerned with Judah, and while Jeremiah is taken up primarily with Judah, God also speaks to and about those nations that are uh, around him. So in the first place, uh, we see this this call of God, uh, this this, uh, declaration that the Lord had known Jeremiah, had his purposes for Jeremiah, even before he had come on the scene. From those sublime heights, we then descend to Jeremiah's very human objection. Verse 6. Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. Now, Jeremiah responds to those wonderful truths with, with, 
I don't know how to talk. I, I can't speak. He, he, he appeals here to his inability or his inexperience, and then also to his, his youth. I am, I'm only a youth, probably not a child, probably maybe a preteen, more likely a teenager. Uh, Phil Reich, in his book on uh, Jeremiah, uh, imagines how Jeremiah might have sounded. Uh, wait a second, Lord. About this whole prophet to the nations thing, it doesn't sound like that great an idea. Prophecy is not one of my spiritual gifts. As you know, I'm, I'm getting a C in rhetoric at the synagogue. Besides, I'm just a teenager. Well, that's Isaiah's, or rather Jeremiah's objection. Uh, other prophets did object uh, in a similar way. If, if you're familiar with Isaiah, you know that Isaiah uh, reacted to the presence and the call of God in Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, where his objection was, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the Lord. I'm undone. Uh, I, I can't go on. Uh, there, his, his difficulty lay more in his own personal sin, and his own uncleanness before God, together with that of the people among whom he lived. Moses was much more akin to uh to Jeremiah in this regard. As you know, when the Lord called Moses to go to Pharaoh to, uh, to lead his people out of Egypt, Moses' objection was, I'm not a man of eloquence. I don't know how to speak. I don't know what to say. And the Lord responded to Moses, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf? or seeing, or blind. Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. Now, the Lord says very much the same thing to Jeremiah. And by the way, if you study Jeremiah, and as we study Jeremiah, you'll notice some real parallels with Moses, uh, including this, this objection that was very similar to that of Moses. Well, the Lord responds to him, in verse 7, the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth. For to all whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. The Lord brushes aside that objection. That's irrelevant. Because you will go to everyone to whom I send you. The, the scope of his audience, and Jeremiah would speak to a lot of different people, a lot of different groups. And he says, you will tell them everything that I tell you to say to them. So the scope of his message Jeremiah had a great deal to say to a lot of different people. And that's the, how the Lord responds to him. But he also gives him an assurance of his own presence. Look at verse 8. Do not be afraid of them. It's kind of like the dentist saying, now, this is only going to hurt a little. I mean, the word hurt is the operative word there, Right? Well, when someone says, now don't be afraid, what's the first thing you think? I should be very afraid, right? Uh, why, would, why else would you bring this up? Uh, when the dentist says, it's only going to hurt a little, you think, uh-oh, why else would he bring this up? Well, the Lord says to Jeremiah, do not be afraid of them. Of who? Well, the nations, the leaders, the crowds who would hate him and hate what he had to say and reject him. All of these great people that he would challenge and stand before, the great crowds of people who would dislike him and reject him, do not be afraid of them. 
For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. The Lord doesn't deny Jeremiah's objections. Yes, he had little experience. Yes, he was young. But he answers Jeremiah's objections with himself. And just as he said to Israel, I am with you. And how Moses pleaded with the Lord, we cannot go there unless you go with us, unless you are with us. The Lord says to Jeremiah, those things may be true, but I am with you. He answers Jeremiah's objections with himself. As we saw as we studied 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul had a tremendous sense of his own inadequacy. And that was a good thing. Because in his sense of weakness, he was able to look to and rely on the strength of God. So that Paul could say, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. The temptation, if we think ourselves to be capable, if we think that we can handle it, is to try to do it ourselves. And God often will say, okay, let's see how you can do on your own. And often it turns out to be a mess. Uh, whereas a sense of weakness drives us to the Lord, to trust in him, to depend on him, to pray to him. Paul spoke of those things. Paul said, who is sufficient for these things? It's God who is our sufficiency. God who gives us the ability. Well, that's exactly what the Lord was saying to Jeremiah here. In fact, I suppose Jeremiah's objections were the very things God wanted to hear. suppose the Lord had said this to Jeremiah, called him, and Jeremiah said, you're right, Lord, let me at them. Let me go get them. I'll give them what for. I'll set them straight. I'll tell them the truth. Might have been a lot like Peter. Lord, even if everybody else denies you, I'll never deny you. Go ahead. Let them all fall. I'll be the last man standing. And there he denies Jesus three times before a mere servant girl. Others gathered around warming their hands at the fire. Jeremiah said, I don't know how to speak. I'm just a youth. The Lord said, don't say that. You will speak to the ones I send you to. You will say what I want you to say. And don't be afraid of them. Because I am with you. Now, a couple of things here. A sense of inadequacy, a sense of inability is a tremendous asset if God calls you to do something for him. It can feel overwhelming. It can be a, a, a frightening thing, a scary thing. And yet that's a good thing because it drives us to the Lord. The other thing is that when God calls us to do something, he equips us to do what he calls us to do. Jeremiah did not remain an inexperienced youth. One commentator describes the more mature Jeremiah this way. He was a polymath, that is, knowledgeable in all kinds of things, a great scholar, a man of prodigious learning. He was able to converse in the fields of politics, economics, comparative religion, geography, theology, botany, zoology, anthropology, military strategy, architecture, industry, agriculture, fine arts, and poetry. What God calls us to do, he equips us to do, and he remains with us as we do it. So we've seen God's call. We've seen Jeremiah's objection to that call, and yet God's coming back and reassuring him. And then we uh, hit the, the climax of this passage with Jeremiah's ordination, if we want to call it that, when he is set apart for this work. And we see this in verses 9 and 10. 
Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. You may remember in Isaiah, when Isaiah complained of his own sinful lips and the, the sin of the people around him, that the Lord sent the, the, the angel, the seraphim, to take that, that burning coal uh, from the altar and touch Isaiah's lips with it to sear them, to cauterize them, to purify them, to signal to Isaiah that the Lord has cleansed his sin and has called him to be a spokesman for God. You may recall Ezekiel, uh, when the Lord called him, he said, here, take my words and eat them. And he gave them to Ezekiel and then Ezekiel ate the, uh, the words of God, and they were sweet in his stomach. Well, here, the Lord put out, his, put out his hand and touched Jeremiah's mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Another link, by the way, to Moses. Remember Deuteronomy 18, where we read that the Lord would raise up another prophet, one like Moses, uh, among the people. Of course, that points to the prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet Jeremiah himself was a remarkable fulfillment of that passage. In Deuteronomy 18, 18, the Lord says, I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. The Lord touched my mouth and said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. So we see this touch. We see the Lord giving him the message. And then we see the authority that the Lord gives to him to carry out his ministry. Verse 10, See, I have set you this day over nations and kingdoms. But only because the Lord is over nations and kingdoms. To do what? To pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. To pluck up, like like pulling a weed out of the ground. To break down, like taking uh, an old structure and, and raising it, tearing it down, breaking it down to the ground, to destroy, to overthrow, to turn over. Almost like taking the soil uh, when a garden's gone bad, garden, garden's got old, tilling it under. And to build, positively, to build and to plant. Now, to pluck up, break down, destroy, overthrow, build and plant. Notice... And this is typical of the book of Jeremiah. Notice that the judgment outnumbers grace two to one. But also notice that grace has the last word. When Judah has been tilled under, God will begin again. He will build. He will plant. There's an important principle here, an important lesson here uh, and that is, before there can be life, there is a death. That was, that was going to be true of Judah. Uh, and it's rebellion against God. It looked like the end for Judah. And in fact, uh, Judah fell. Uh, many of the citizens were taken into captivity in Babylon, which, by the way, is where you then encounter Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were among those exiles in Babylon. Uh, Judah would fall. It would look like it was the end. But 70 years later, God brought them back. Jerusalem was uh, reestablished, uh, the temple, the walls rebuilt, Ezra, Nehemiah. And the Lord kept them there until several centuries later, uh, a young woman named Mary gave birth 
to a baby named Jesus. Death and then a life. That was true of Jesus, who died in judgment, but was raised on the third day. It's true of us as Christians. We've died to our old selves with Christ and been raised to a new life. It's true of the world. One day, not just a tiny, relatively insignificant nation uh, will be destroyed, but the entire world will come under the conflagration of, of the judgment of God. But God will bring forth from that destruction a new heavens and a new earth. See, God called Jeremiah to be a preacher of his judgment, a preacher of his grace in a hard day. As Jeremiah went through those days, he would remember this call of the Lord. And in fact, many a discouraged preacher ever since has looked back to the day of his calling to the ministry to stay him and confirm that he is following the will of God. Jeremiah would struggle with his calling. In fact, one day he would say to God, you deceived me. And I was deceived. But to keep him going through hard times was the knowledge of this passage, of what he experienced here, that God had called him. That even before he was born, God knew him, and God had set his love upon him. Christian, God has called you. He calls you to be his own. He loved you before you existed. In fact, he loved you in Christ before he even created the world. He called you to this life you have, to this place you live, to the mate to whom you are married, and to the vocation that you pursue. He calls you to serve Him. He calls you to make Him known. And when the going is hard, He assures you, as He assured Jeremiah, do not be afraid of Him, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that magnificent promise that you made explicitly here to Jeremiah, but here implicitly to us and certainly explicitly in other places in Scripture, that you are our God, that our times are in your hands, that we are living precisely when and where you have called us to live with both the blessings of our day, of our society, and the challenges and the discouragements of our day and our society, in our own lives. Father, we thank you that whatever our calling, whatever our vocation, uh, whatever our situation, that we are here because you have placed us here, and you will never leave us, nor will you forsake us. Father, we pray that uh, as we study this passage, as we study this book, that you would encourage us and strengthen us, feed us and equip us to live as your children in our day, as Jeremiah did in his. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.